Good morning, friends. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. We memorize things in King James, right? I'm not the only one. Even, even passages that I didn't memorize in the King James, when I memorize them, they become King James. I don't know what the deal is with that, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Nice King James ending there. Matthew 6, 33. Good morning, y'all. It is great to be back at Edgewood. Y'all are a church that I brag on, that I talk about. I brag on your pastors. I brag on your worship leader. And on y'all as a congregation and the work that you're doing in your neighborhood, I'm telling all of Atlanta, you got to check out Edgewood Church. They're actually doing it. Uh, it's, it's amazing how little you find that in the church, but y'all are actually doing the thing. So thank you. And it is an honor to get to be a part of this teaching series. I've uh, listened to some of the sermons. Y'all have had some hitters in here, so a little intimidated again, but very glad for the opportunity as... Pastor Joy said, I have come today from uh, Pensacola, Florida. So I've come a long way to talk about Jesus. So let's talk about Jesus. And specifically, that uh, catchy little saying of his, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Every time I read it, I'm going to use a different translation just to keep us disoriented by this. Because it's a passage that's so familiar, right? Like your grandma has this cross-stitched in pillows. If you grew up in church, it was like, written in comic sans on the wall or something. We all have this in our head. So every time I hit it, I'm going to say it a little different to keep us just on our toes a little. And so as uh, we dig into this passage, first we need to establish that Jesus' primary concern, his main focus, his core teaching is the kingdom of God and that it is near. Uh, That's the main thing he wants to talk about. That's the main focus of his ministry, not how to pray, not how to vote, not how to parent, not how to preach, not how to be more religious or start a new religion, not how to handle your finances, how to get into heaven, how not to get into hell, how to become enlightened, how to be a better citizen, how to get rich, how to make friends and influence people, how to read the Bible, how to govern or control the world, how to do miracles or heal or raise the dead how to be free of depression, how to win, how to be self-confident, make your better, lose 30 pounds in 30 days. Jesus' primary teaching was the kingdom of God, its reality, its essence, and its proximity. In Matthew 4, 17, Jesus, I'm going to hit a couple of these that look similar. Jesus starts his ministry and he says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, For the kingdom of heaven has come near. In Matthew, you'll see kingdom of heaven. It's the same thing as kingdom of God. Luke 8, 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from town to town and one village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, saying the kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Mark 1, 15. The time has come, Jesus said. That's how you say a phrase like that. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus' message seems to be, look, the kingdom of God is there. Like, it's right there. It's right here. Just look. You can see it. If you try, it's ready. It's real. It's accessible. It's available. It's right there. We keep missing it, but it's right there. So what is it? What is this thing that Jesus is always talking about? Here's my professor answer from when I teach in those spaces. The kingdom of God 
is an event that happened, is happening, will happen across time and space. It's manifested in human lives by the realization of God's love layered over and actualized in our present reality in which we are invited to subversively participate by the call of Jesus, the power of the Spirit, and the authority of the Father to make things on earth as they are in heaven for the blessing of all the families of the earth, culminating, it's still one sentence, <laughs> in the renewal of the whole creation. That, that's a lot. There's, there's a reason that I like write that down and hand it to students. I don't just read it to them. So, but Jesus makes it a little more plain, right? We have to make things more complicated. But Jesus, uh, in Luke 4, when he starts preaching about the kingdom of God, he says that it's good news to the poor, that it's freedom for the captives, that it's the recovery of sight for the blind and justice for the oppressed. And he says that to proclaim the kingdom of God is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is the jubilee. And this is a concept we don't talk about in our church as much, but it's, it's a gift given by God way back, um, like in Deuteronomy, to the wandering Hebrew people as he's God's starting to put them back into being human after rescuing them from slavery. And as they prepare to enter the promised land, they're going to set up cities and kingdoms and governments and systems and order. They're going to build a society. God demands that every 49, 50 years, there is a universal Sabbath. Everyone gets to rest. The animals get to rest. The land gets to rest. Everything takes a break. All debt is forgiven all slaves are freed, and everyone goes back to their ancestral land that God gave them when they crossed the Jordan. And it's set up to happen something like once every generation so that no one has to live forever in generational poverty, and no one lives their whole life as a slave. Right? That's good news, right? That sounds good. Um, a quick aside, it may or may not surprise you, to learn that even though God mandated this, we have almost no evidence that the Jubilee was ever really observed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there are amens and there are oh mys. That is an oh my. Uh, Jesus will spend much of his teaching ministry speaking in parables, right? Parables that frequently start with, the kingdom of God is like X. And in Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus delivers his manifesto on the kingdom of God. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in all of these parables and in his manifesto, Jesus' understanding of what the kingdom of God looks like, it starts to emerge. It, uh, it expands more and more, and we get to see more of it as Jesus goes on. The kingdom of God is what Jesus calls it when things are, to quote the Lord's Prayer from the Sermon on the Mount, on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is when God's rule materializes in our reality, when the way of love wins out, when justice takes the day. In fact, ah, I currently host a podcast. This is now a shameless plug. Uh, I currently host a podcast with one of your other guest preachers. Me and David Gushy run the thing together. Mondays on wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so we run this podcast called the Kingdom Ethics Podcast. And we use this ethical framework from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount to attack different issues and questions and ethical 
situations that Christians and the church find themselves in. And in this framework that we've taken and made out of the kingdom of God teachings from Jesus, we have found seven marks of the kingdom. And they operate both as goals, things to to aim at, but also sort of as tells. They're hints, they're whispers, they're indications that you might have just stumbled into the rule of God. They're signs that the kingdom has broken into our present broken world. When God shows up in our world, we see, so here's the seven, deliverance and salvation. We see justice and peace, healing, restoration, and the rebuilding of communities and relationships. And we experience the presence of God. My mind, when people ask about that last one, what does it mean to experience the presence of God? Uh, I go to this old story of the patriarch Jacob in Genesis 28. When he, he wakes up from this revelatory dream, God has shown him something in a dream, and he's shocked awake, and he says, surely God was here, and I didn't even know it. That's the realization of the presence of God. So when we look at today's focal verse from Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We have a little bit clearer of an idea of what Jesus means when he says, Seek the kingdom, seek the rule of God in the world around us. We are to pursue this inbreaking of heaven, this realization of the way of love on the earth, God ruling in our reality on earth as it is in heaven. But there are two more parts to this verse that I find really intriguing and want to talk about. Uh, But strive first for the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things shall be given to you as well. And I I think we get really hung up on this last line. I think this is where churchy folks get snagged. All these things shall be added unto you. All these things shall be given to you as well. All these things will be added to you in addition. These are all different ways that I've seen the phrase translated this past week. Uh, there are some fun ones out there. Like I learned a new word from the Mace translation. It says, and all these things shall be super added. Fun old English word for like added and then added on top of it. It's been super added. These will be super added unto you. Uh, some of the oldest translations in English say these things will be ministered to thee. Uh, the voice, a lovely paraphrase, says, all these things will be given to you too. But even the paraphrase doesn't help much. What is Jesus talking about when he says all these things? Some have tried to make this line about God meeting our needs or even making you rich. We call that the prosperity gospel. Uh, neither of those are particularly responsible ways to handle this text. Others have tried to make it entirely otherworldly, out in the ether, something spiritual, something about heaven, or a future reward. I I don't think that's what's going on either. But I think that if we're going to answer the question, what is Jesus talking about? We should go and look at what Jesus was saying. A a quick aside about how the Bible works. In (laughs) In general, not always, but in general, you should read the Bible like a book. We, we would never expect uh, Harry Potter or the Song of Fire and Ice or the Ashen City, the Lord of the Rings, Moby Dick, or Goodnight Moon or whatever to, to make sense one sentence at a time. The, and Jesus works the same way. He's delivering 
this three-chapter-long monologue, and if you grab a sentence and just snatch it out and try to make a worldview out of it, you're going to have a bad time. You're going to get confused. You're going to get tripped up. So chapter 6 of Matthew, where this passage comes from, it's the middle section of that Sermon on the Mount, that kingdom manifesto. And chapter 6 contains a series of warnings. Don't practice your piety for others to see, to get other people's attention. Don't be obsessed with material possessions. Don't be double-minded. Don't be anxious, not about your future, not about your possessions, not about your status. It's all about anxiety and striving and recognition. Don't pray. Don't fast just to be seen. It won't actually get you anywhere. Don't store up and hoard treasure. I, I think Jesus says treasure tongue-in-cheek there. Like Jesus knows all the little things we're worried about. <coughs> like, ooh, yeah, all those cars, that nice house, the fancy guitars, whatever. Uh, yeah, it's so important. That's your treasure. Um, no, stop hoarding. It's not actually going to keep you safe. It's not going to work. That drive, that need, that craving, the hunger, the lust for more and better stuff, it won't actually satisfy. And then there's these fears and these anxieties that you won't have enough or you won't be enough, that you won't be recognized enough. These concerns are antithetical to the kingdom of God. Anxiety, striving, clawing, climbing, these are the opposite of living under the reign of God. So what does Jesus mean when he says all these things will be added? To try to get a better grip on this, I want us to jump forward, still in the book of Matthew, to a chapter where Jesus is telling a bunch of these, the kingdom of God is like X parables. And here we find what is, it's become one of my favorite parables, but it's a, it's one of his shortest, one of these short, short stories. Matthew 13, 45, and 46, just two verses. Turn that in for your creative writing class and see what happens. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he finds one, he went and sold everything in order to buy it, and he went and bought the pearl. Very short, short story. But if you're willing to sit with it, I think it's just packed full of drama. At first glance, this parable feels kind of like a nice, silly story about a pretty extreme impulse buy. Uh, that, that thrill, you know, some good old-fashioned readers held to, You laugh, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Prime Day was last week. I know you bought something. <clears throat> In Jesus' parable, the merchant discovering this most valuable pearl he's ever seen. So his whole life, he's a pearl merchant. He's out looking for good pearls, and he finds the best one he's ever seen. And he sells everything, the parable says, in order to possess it. So the story ends with this scene. The story ends with a homeless man standing naked in the street holding a pearl, holding a sign of wealth. Right? He sold everything. He's got nothing now but the most valuable pearl in the world. He has the thing that he wished to own, but owning it has made him poor, not rich. He can't eat the pearl. He can't wear it. He can't live in it. It can't protect him. It can't heal him. It can't advance him. It is now 
only worth what he could use it to buy. The only way he can utilize the pearl, the only way he can utilize its worth would be to let it go, to sell it. The only way he can get to its value is to use it. I think this parable can act as a lens through which we can see and maybe better understand Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 33. Look first for the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these other things shall be given to you also. If you look back at those warnings in Matthew 6, the whole chapter, we've had Jesus talking about how pursuing, worrying, being anxious about status, security, purpose, they don't actually get us anywhere. These are human ways of attacking these needs and they don't actually lead to them being met on any actual level of meaning any of the ways that we actually need them to be met i think we are all like this merchant searching for something of value something precious something that will make us good enough make us matter make us lovable make us safe make us whole and in this search jesus says if we are searching genuinely we will find the kingdom of God. We encounter Jesus. We answer the call to a new life. We surrender our old life in exchange for a new one, a kingdom life. But I think this is where the church tends to get stuck. I think a lot of us get stuck at the acceptance level. I've accepted Jesus. And we we hear and receive the gospel. We say yes to Jesus. We start a new life in the church. And then that's where we kind of stop. And it sort of leaves us feeling, you know, still kind of a little bit empty, not quite whole. It was about uh, 12 years ago I was a youth pastor. And I, I led this youth retreat, this whole retreat, um, based on a question that a student asked. She had been a Christian for about two years. She was in high school. And during a youth discussion one evening, she very genuinely raised her hand and she asked, I know, like, <laughs> I didn't mean to make fun of her there. <laughs> I know, like, I get to go to heaven now and I get to know God, but, like, is this it? Right? So I, I got together with my team and we planned this whole event. It was back when zombies were everything. And this is on the south side of Atlanta. So zombies were really everything. Um, so we put together the zombie-themed, uh, that's just for fun, put together the zombie-themed retreat, and we called it Help! I accepted Jesus into my life. I accepted Jesus into my heart, but my life still sucks. I think this is where a lot of American Christians end up spending most of their Christian lives, having accepted Jesus, having joined the church, having traded their old lives for kingdom lives, but still feeling the need to prove something, to earn something, still living in the, is this really it, life. Because, like the merchant, they've said yes, they've done the thing, they traded the old for the new, and now they find themselves homeless and naked, looking at a really nice pearl. I think this is where the last piece of our focus text comes into play. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you as well. So Jesus calls us to give up our striving, our working, our anxiety, every possession, status, identity, and purpose by seeking the kingdom of God. 
promising that in doing so, all these things, the deep longing for meaning and purpose, calling, identity, secure, belonging, that these will be added to us in the seeking. So why do so many of us live in this place of, I accepted Jesus into my heart, but my life still sucks? I propose it's because we tend to skip the middle part of this pithy little verse. Seek first the kingdom of God, and we like to skip its righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. We skip over the righteousness part. Don't zone out on me yet. (laughs) I know it's starting to sound churchy. Don't zone out. The word righteousness, it is really Bible-y sounding, right? Like that's a good uh, church talk, Christianese type word. Uh, Being righteous sounds like what? Going to church, being nice, giving to the offering, not saying bad words, singing in the choir, teaching Sunday school, right? That's helping little old lady across the street. That sounds like righteousness, right? It's flowery, it's religion-y, it's churchy talk. But and I, I want to tip you in on another thing about the Bible. I want to remind you that all translation is interpretation. We have to make choices anytime we translate the Bible. Anytime you take these ancient languages and try to cram them into English, you have to make choices about how to render the Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek word that you're looking at. They usually don't come easy. They don't translate cleanly. The word that is being translated here as righteousness in almost every English translation is the Greek word dikaiosune. That's a fun word, dikaiosune. And it can responsibly be translated as righteousness or as justice. Seek first the kingdom of God and its justice. And then all these things will be given to you as well. Our kingdom discovery, our pearl of great price, becomes the power of God in us and around us when we allow its justice to flow through us and out of us. Living a life of justice, that is, setting the world right, defending the oppressed, caring for those who are on the edges of society, welcoming those who don't have a place, speaking up for the voiceless, living a life of justice activates the reality of the kingdom of God in and around us. Live a life of justice and all these things shall be added to you. The things you really need, the things that you really need and desire and want deep, deep down. Seek the kingdom of God and live a life of justice, and all these things will be added to you. Identity, purpose, love, community, calling, meaning, belonging, they will be added to you, and that is good news. Amen.